Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. I keep telling y'all, I hope you believe it, and I hope you don't think I'm just saying it just because I say it a lot, but golly, man, I love being a pastor of this church. That, that's just, that was just fun, man, just singing with y'all and worshiping the Lord with you this morning. Pretty amazing. Had a good time at 8 o'clock, too, man. We had a great service over there, great crowd, and Lord's just working and moving. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you all for letting me be your pastor. Uh, you know, we talk about prayer a lot around here, and we do a lot of praying around here, and we believe in the power of prayer around here. Amen? Amen. So we do, and... Uh, and we, we don't talk about it, we don't do it, and we don't believe it just because that's what we're supposed to do. We really, really do. And so I want us to think about that today. And uh, I'm going to start with some, uh, I want to give you some quotes, some statements from some guys about personal prayer. About those times in our personal lives where you're, it's just you and God. You know, your, 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 uh, your daily quiet time or whatever you call it, your devotional time or your personal worship time. But those times when it's just you and the Lord, and, and, and I hope that you have those times. And, and so I want to give you some quotes about that first. So listen, listen to these. Uh, David Jett is the pastor of Crossgates Baptist Church. Great guy. I, love, I want to have him preach here one day. And David uh, said this about his daily, he said he prays this every day. I wrote it in the inside cover of my Bible when he said it, when he was preaching for us at Country Woods one time. He said, Lord, this is his prayer every day. Lord, speak to me today. Search me today. Show me today and send me today. So we praise every day. Well, those, those are powerful words. That's a good thing to pray every day. Jim Elliott, who was, Jim Elliott was a missionary a long time ago, was uh, martyred when he was trying to reach the, uh, the Aka Indians and uh, was killed by a spear that they ran him through when he uh, was on a river there trying to tell him about Jesus. And he said this, the saint who advances on his knees never retreats. That's good. J.C. Ryle, pastor from days gone by, said, Be sure that no time is so well spent as that which a man spends on his knees. And then Paul said, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So those are some things about our personal prayer time. Let's talk about our corporate time when I say corporate I say that when I say that word I'm talking and you know but just reminds you, I'm talking about us praying together the church praying together and and uh, I want to give you some statements about corporate prayer when we're together praying Charles Spurgeon said it is not possible check this out it is not possible that the Lord will be deaf to his people when they are in earnest about a matter that concerns his glory. God will not be deaf to his people when we're calling out to him about something that concerns his glory. Uh, J.B. Johnston, another pastor from days gone by, said, The prayer meeting is the pulse of the church. The prayer meeting is the rallying point where the power of, faith, of the faith of the church concentrates and takes hold on the arm that moves the world. That's the arm of God. We come together as a church, our faith is concentrated on the arm of God. Vance Havner said the thermometer of a church is its prayer meeting. 
Jim Cimbala, the pastor of the uh, uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, said this to his people. He said, no matter what I preach or what we believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times of prayer. He said that to his church. E.M. Bounds said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery, not new organizations, or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. And then the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, once again, he said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So when Paul said that, when he wrote that to the church at Thessalonica, he was talking to individuals because we are the church. The church is made up of the people. So when he said pray without ceasing, it was like he was sitting there across the table from you or me and looked at me and said, John, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Swayze, pray without ceasing. Ron, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. But then he would look at all of us, the church together, and he would look at all of us and say, hey, y'all, y'all, pray without ceasing. So today we're going to talk about the y'all aspect of prayer. We're going to talk about corporate prayer today. We're going to talk about the prayer of the church. And so the application of this message today, I'll give you the application first today. The application of this message today is that gathering for corporate prayer is essential to our individual spiritual growth and our growth as a church. Gathering for corporate prayer, the y'all aspect of prayer, gathering for corporate prayer is essential to our individual spiritual growth and our growth as a church. We'll see the importance of that as we look at Scripture today. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I hope you got your Bible and uh, can read this out of your own copy of God's Word. If not, it's printed in your uh, bulletin there. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. As we continue looking at some stuff out of the book of Acts in the early church. Would you stand please and let's read these five verses together. It says, about that time, and we'll talk about what that time is here in just a second. About that time, Herod the king listen, check this out, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also, and I would venture to say he wanted to kill Peter too because he said it pleased the people that he killed James, so he arrested Peter, and I'm thinking he probably, when you find out about this guy, you probably agree, he probably wanted to kill Peter too. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. He put 16 soldiers in charge of one man. 16 soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but... And there's that word that means something else is about to happen. This is going on, but there's something else going on too. Peter's in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God for him by the church. May God bless the reading of his perfect word this morning. Let's pray together. Help us today, Lord. We come to you. We pray to you because we believe you're hearing us, Lord. 
asking you now, by the power of your Spirit, who is our teacher, uh, to teach us today. We, we, we lay open our hearts to you today, Lord. I pray all across this room and people that are watching this service, just open up our hearts, open up our minds, just go, God, fill me up, teach me what I need to be taught today, and help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. All right, so let's check out and see what's going on in the early church now. That's what we've been doing. If you hadn't been here over the course of the last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called The Church. You are, in the big two letters in the middle, you are, because you are the church. And that's what we've been doing, walking through the book of Acts, looking at what's going on in the church, and how does that apply to us today. So we've talked about the power of the church, the proclamation of the church, the, the, uh, uh, the um, the problems of the church. We've, and, and next week, Lord willing, if God lets me preach again next week, we'll wrap this series up with a sermon on the possibilities of the church. But today we're focusing on the prayers of the church, the prayer of the church. So let me, let me kind of tell you what's going on here in Acts chapter 12. The church has gotten, I mean, we're 12 chapters into the book of Acts now, and so the church has gotten started. The church is kind of gaining some traction. The church is getting a lot of attention because... Because of God. <laughs> I mean, God was doing some amazing things. I mean, right after the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Do you think we'd get some attention if 3,000 people got saved today? Yeah, I mean, it would be great to have 3,000 people here. If 3,000 people got saved, we'd get some attention. And then later on, preaching again, 2,000 people got saved. So, I mean, we're probably talking 25, 30,000 people now in the, in the church. So they're getting some attention. And, and, and they're, they're preaching the gospel. Man, Peter and the apostles and other guys are preaching the gospel. They're out there preaching, man. They're sharing the gospel. And so a lot of people, a lot of people are responding. Some people are responding to the gospel like maybe you need to today by responding to the gospel and give your life to Christ. They were giving their lives to Christ. People were getting saved and coming into the church. Because the moment that you give your life to Christ, you become a member of the, the church, the body of Christ, you immediately, and then, then you join a church, like a, an individual congregation like this, like a lot of people have done recently. Maybe you're planning to join the church today and join this church, and that'd be awesome. But, so a lot of people in the book of Acts were doing that. They were coming into the church. A lot of people responded, but there were some other people that were responding in another way because of all the attention that the gospel was getting. Some people were responding by bringing persecution on the church. I mean, some people responded by giving their lives to Christ. Some people responded by trying to stop the preach, preaching of the gospel and persecuting the church and persecuting those who are proclaiming the gospel, arresting them, throwing them in jail, all kinds of stuff. And so it's obvious that prayer, and I would say specifically corporate prayer, the y'all prayer, us prayer, us praying together, it's obvious that prayer was a vital, listen y'all, a vital component of the early church's life and health, and I would venture to say even their survival as they saw and experienced more widespread and more intense persecution. They, they saw their leaders being arrested. They saw their leaders being thrown in jail. They saw their leaders being beaten and stoned and executed. You go back to Acts chapter 7, and, and Stephen, one of the first deacons, Stephen was preaching the gospel, and they, they got so angry at him for preaching the gospel, they dragged him out of town and, and stoned him to, to death, just bashed his head in with these big massive stones. And then, and then we just read here in Acts chapter 1 that, 
that, that James was, was killed by the sword. And so th- when the church starts seeing their leaders getting arrested and beaten and stoned and killed, they realize, man, we better be praying. I, I hope if y'all see me get arrested and, and thrown in jail, y'all, would, you, would y'all pray for me, please? I mean, if that happens. So I, you know, and that's what was going on here. The church realized they better be praying. Because there were two specific times of persecution that had, that had happened so far here in the book of Acts. If you went back to Acts chapter 8, you would see a guy named Saul that we know as Paul. And by the way, his name didn't change to Paul. It was Saul or Paul. It, it, it's not like he changed his name to Paul. It was either Saul or Paul, same guy, just two different names, Jewish name, Greek name kind of deal. But anyway, so you go back to Acts chapter 8, and you see right after Stephen got stoned, if you remember at the end of chapter 7, it says that the people who threw the stones, before they started throwing stones, they were taking their, you know what I'm saying, man, get this jacket off me, get this stuff off me, you know, and and so they took their, their cloaks off, and they went over and laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. And then Acts chapter 8 says Saul was approving of the persecution, and Saul was doing a lot of the persecution, and his was a religious persecution. His was coming from a religious hierarchy of a Jewish background. But then you get to Acts chapter 12, and you see this dude named Herod, and you've heard that name before, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Herod the king, this was a political persecution. This is the first time that the church experienced some political persecution. Herod, this Herod, that you, and you've heard that name. Let me tell you why you've heard that name. Because this Herod, Herod the king, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king, this Herod the king was the grandson of a guy named Herod the Great. And Herod the Great, you find him in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, early part of Matthew. He is the guy that was the king when Jesus was born. Remember that? And then the wise men showed up and came and asked the king, hey, where's this new king that's been born? And the king said, what, 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 what king? I'm the king. You remember what Herod the Great did? Issued an order for all of his soldiers to go through the towns and rip the little baby boys out of their mama's hands and arms and kill all those baby boys so he could try to make sure that he killed Jesus in the process, and he didn't. So you kind of see now why this Herod, if he's the grandson, that's his, <laughs> that's kind of in his DNA to be a bad, bad, bad person. One commentator that I read about called him the devil's point man in Jerusalem. That's, that's who this dude was. So obviously, man, this, 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 this was a, a bad guy. Verse 1 gives us a picture of how bad this guy was. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That means he was very intentional. He, was, he meant to do this. He was very intentional about bringing harm and injury to the members of the church. And you see there at the beginning it says, about that time, I was going to tell you what that means. If you back up into chapter 11, you see that, and it's just like, it's like we've said other times, and it's something we've got to pay attention to, because the reason that this persecution started happening in Acts chapter 12 is because at the end of Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch realized that there was about to be a great famine in the land, and so they started collecting money and food and all that kind of stuff to take care of people and doing what God wants them to do. You think Satan's going to sit back and let the church just do things without trying to disrupt it? No. So again, this persecution came on the heels of the church doing some good stuff. Pay attention, First Baptist Flora. 
with all that God is doing in our midst. Man, last night this, this room was full of men that were eating really good steaks and heard an incredible message of the gospel last night from Justin Graves in this room. Satan's not going to sit by and just let that happen. Some of you guys that were here last night, you heard that, you heard that message. You better strap it on, bro, because it's coming toward you. The, the persecution is coming your way. Your family's about to get attacked. Your marriage is about to get attacked. Your business is about to get attacked. Your health is about to get attacked. You better get ready. And so that's what's going on here. So Herod, Herod killed James, and then he imprisoned Peter, probably wanted to kill Peter too. But listen, serious times, were, these were serious times for the church, but listen, serious times call for serious prayer. Amen? And I think we'd all agree we're in some pretty serious times right now. And that's exactly what the church was doing. You see there in verse 5, the church was praying earnestly. In earnest, the church was praying. They were praying for Peter because the early church believed in the importance of corporate, y'all kind of praying. The church believed in that. If you went... If you took the book of Acts, and, and I would encourage you to do this, and go through the book of Acts, you would find at least ten different times where there were either groups of people praying or the whole church praying. All throughout the book of Acts, like right here in the margin of my Bible, by verse 5, I have the two words written, corporate prayer. If you go look at verse 12, when you realize this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. I have the words corporate prayer written out in the margin of my Bible there. Ten different places in the book of Acts, I have the words corporate prayer written. The church believed in corporate prayer. So here's three questions for us today. Why should the church pray? Question number one, why should the church pray? Simple answer, because we need to pray. Amen? We need, amen? We need to pray. The church needs to pray. There is a tremendous need in the church for us to pray. We are powerless, clueless, and directionless apart from prayer. We, we are limited to our feeble human efforts apart from prayer. You don't want a pastor up here that's relying on his human efforts because they are extremely feeble. You, you need to be praying. We need to be praying. The church should pray because we have to pray. Why should the church pray? Number one, we pray because of unity. Man, you talk about, you talk about something that brings us together. The church, we should pray because it brings unity to the body. Look, bro, you can't stay mad at somebody. Sister, you can't stay out of fellowship with somebody in the church if you're praying with them or praying for them. It's one of the greatest ways to bring unity in the church because prayer breaks those walls down. The walls that we erect, the walls that the enemy tempts us to erect between us and another brother or sister in Christ because of something they did to us, something they said to us, some way we got sideways with each other. And we put those walls up, man, prayer breaks those walls down. Prayer, prayer reveals our needs and prayer reminds us that we need each other. I need you and you need me. We need each other, and prayer 
reminds us of that. And prayer also reminds us that we have the same Savior. Jesus, amen, we got the same Savior. If you know Jesus, you're my brother in Christ, you're my sister in Christ, we got the same Savior. We worship the same Savior. Prayer brings unity. Man, write this verse down. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Listen to this verse. It says this, check this out. Far be it from me. Listen, listen, listen. Far be it from me that I should sin against God by failing to pray for you. Do you hear that? We sin against God when we don't pray for each other. That's why prayer is so important. We, we have to pray, and it brings us together. We've got to pray because it brings power. It brings unity and it brings power. Why do we need to pray? We have to pray. It brings unity and it brings power. We should pray because it brings the power of God on His work. Listen, man, you look at the book of Acts. You look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43. And what you'll see is that was the first time the church got together and they came together and they were breaking bread and they were fellowshipping and they were listening to the apostles' teachings and they were praying together. And it says right after that, it says, and awe came upon everybody who saw them. You know what brings awe? The power of God brings awe. They weren't in awe just because there was... People praying, they were in awe because they saw the power of God changing people's lives. They saw 3,000 people get saved. They were amazed at the power of God, and that came because the church was praying. The power of God, prayer brings the power of God. Acts 4.31, we looked at that passage a couple of weeks ago. Acts 4.31, after the church prayed, they were, they, the church, was filled with boldness to share the gospel. Do you know why? Because of the power of of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that came on them after they had prayed. Prayer brings the power of God. You look at here, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter kept in prison. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Do you know what happened after that? Do you know the rest of the story? If you read the rest of Acts chapter 12, you'll find out that God dispatched an angel to come and set Peter free from prison. Do you know why God sent the angel? Because the church had been praying. And God sent the angel and everybody got to see the power of God at work because the church was praying. Prayer brings the power of God on the church. We got to pray because if we want, and I so want, the manifest power of God to be evident in our lives and in this church, we must pray. If we want the power of God to be able to defeat Satan, we must pray. If we want the power of God to save those who are lost, we must pray. If we want the power of God to set people free from addictions, we must pray. If we want the power of God to break strongholds in our lives and in our families and in our communities, we must pray. If we want the power of God to heal sicknesses and diseases and marriages and families that are in despair, we must pray for the power of God. That's why we got to pray. Because prayer brings unity and prayer brings power and prayer b- brings obedience. We pray as a church because we are commanded to pray. So we pray out of, listen, listen, check this out now. We pray out of obedience 
Because Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then Jesus told his disciples in Luke 18, 1, he said, you guys, you must always pray and never give up. Never give up. Keep praying. Never give up. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. We're commanded to pray. So listen, listen. We pray out of obedience, but we also pray to be obedient. Understand that. We pray out of obedience because we're commanded to pray, but we pray so that we will be obedient. Do you know why? Because listen to me, my friend. You can pray all day for your sweet little baby, your sweet little babies that you love so much. You can pray all day for your grandkids that you love so much. You can pray all day. But if you're living in a disobedience, your prayer ain't going nowhere. It's so important that we live in obedience. John, why do you say that? Well, because that's what the Bible says. If we're living in a disobedience, if we are living in disobedience, that the Holy Spirit will not enable us to pray because God will not hear us. Write down Psalm 66, verse 18. Psalm 66, 18, that says, If I had harbored sin in my heart, if I had held on to sin in my life, the Lord would not have listened to me. You hanging on to some sin? You living in some sin right now? You got some secret sin that you don't think anybody knows about? Guess what? God knows about it. You doing that? Listen, your prayers ain't going nowhere. Your prayers are not, they're, they're dropping right in front of you. They're not going anywhere. Write down Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Isaiah 59, that says, Isaiah 59, verse 2. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. And because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore until you confess and repent. Fred Wolf said, feeble praying comes from feeble lives. There can be no effective prayer life with a defective spiritual life. So do you see why we need to pray? We need to pray because it brings unity. We need to pray because it brings power. We need to pray because we're commanded to pray because, but because we have to live obedient lives. That's why we got to pray. So how should the church pray? How should the church pray? Well, first we pray continuously. We should pray continuously. Look back at verse 5 again. Circle the word earnest. If you've got the ESV, that's what it says, earnest. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer. That word means continuous prayer. That means continuous prayer. In other words, y'all, the church should pray a lot. We should just pray a lot. Our goal is not to be a church that prays. Our goal is to be a praying church, right? That's our goal. That's what we're shooting for. And prayer, listen, prayer should permeate every nook and cranny of every inch of this church, every ministry of this church. Prayer should permeate every life group in this church. Prayer should permeate every Bible study group, every D group, every discipleship relationship. Prayer should permeate every deacon's meeting, every committee meeting, every mission trip, every project, every worship service, every choir practice, every band practice. Prayer should permeate every building that we have and every future building that we have. Prayer should permeate everything about our church. 
In fact, I want to throw this out to you. I don't know if anybody is going to respond after 8 o'clock. Nobody talked to me. That's fine. Don't have to. But I want to throw this. Maybe somebody here will sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this. I would, I would love to see some of you come to this church building early on Sunday mornings. Stephen Estes gets here about 6 o'clock and unlocks all these buildings. So the buildings are open. I'd love to see some of y'all get here early on Sunday morning before we start doing anything and just start prayer walking this building. Just walking all through this. Walk in here and pray for every seat. Pray for every person that's sitting in every seat. Pray for the people that will be up here. Pray for the guy that's going to be behind this pulpit. Go in that sanctuary and pray for people over there. They're going to be worshiping the Lord at 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock. Pray. Go walk through the nursery and pray for all those sweet little babies that are over there that the seeds of the gospel will be planted in their lives and the children that are down there and go upstairs and, and walk through the student ministry area and pray for Michael and pray for the ministry to our students and go through all the life group rooms and, and pray for life group leaders that are going to be teaching the Word of God and walk through this parking lot walk through the parking lots and pray that as soon as people pull into the parking lot of the jones house or right here or up in front of the church that as soon as they pull in they start feeling and sensing the power of the spirit of god in this place and just and pray for these buildings and then come over here and go into this parking lot throughout the week and and pray for the future buildings that we're going to have and pray that god will move in our hearts and lives i would love for some people to start prayer walking this church every sunday maybe that's you Maybe you're looking, I can, maybe you've been sitting there going, I need something to do in the church. I just told you something you can do in the church. You said, man, I can do that. I can walk and I can pray. I can do that. Because the church needs to pray continuously. And the church needs to pray fervently. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. What does the word fervent mean? Straight out of the dictionary, it means having or showing great intensity of spirit, feeling, and enthusiasm. And it also means this. It means hot. It means burning. It means glowing. Man, there's a lot of us that are, about, that are fervent about a lot of things. We're fervent about our favorite sports teams, our favorite schools, our favorite activities, our favorite people. We're fervent about our kids and our grandkids and our families. And we're fervent about our work and our business and all that kind of stuff. But what about fervent prayers? What about a fervent church that is praying? A fervent praying church. Man, I'm telling you, I want our church's prayer life to be hot. I want it to be burning I want it to be glowing because that's the kind of prayer that moves the heart and the hand of God. If we're praying fervently, how should we pray? We should pray continuously and fervently. And we should pray trustingly. Trustingly, that just means we've got to believe <laughs> that He hears us when we pray. Jeremiah 33, 3, the old preacher years ago said, that's God's phone number, J-E-R-333. That's God's phone number. But the reason it is because that word, that scripture says, call, God says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Man, don't you want to see God do some great and mighty things in this church? Don't you want to see that? Amen? Don't you want to see great and mighty things happen in your family's life? Don't you want to see great and mighty things happen in our community? God says, believe, call to me, and I will answer you. And I'll show you those things. Man, do we believe that? Are we praying trustingly? Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, he said this. Check out what he said. Jesus, Son of God, God with skin on. If you believe, 
If you believe, then you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta believe. We have to believe that when we pray, lives are changed. We gotta believe that when we pray, people are saved. We gotta believe that when we pray, people are healed. We gotta believe that when we pray, grieving people are comforted. We gotta believe, listen, some of you need to hear this. We gotta believe that when we pray, your prodigal is gonna come home. We've got to believe that when we pray that addictions are broken and churches are started and churches are strengthened and churches are set on fire. We've got to believe when we pray. Pray continuously, church. Pray fervently, church. And pray trustingly, church. So the last question is, so when do we pray? When should the church pray? Well, the church has set times. The church has always had set times that the church has prayed. You go to Acts chapter 3 that Michael and Mark preached on a few weeks ago when I was out. And you go into Acts chapter 3 and it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. And they were going at the set time that the church would gather to pray. The church has always had set times to pray. Always had set times to pray. Unfortunately, sadly, those are usually the least attended times and activities in the church. Our set time as a church, our set time here at First Baptist Flora is Wednesday night at 6.30 in the sanctuary, our midweek service that we call Refresh. Because I'm telling you, you talk to some of the people that come and they'll tell you they walk out of there refreshed. Amen, people that come to Refresh? I'm just telling you. It's a special, special time. There's other things going on. I know some of you work with kids, some of you with the students, some of you singing in the choir. I understand that, but but that's the time for those who aren't doing those things to come together to pray. It's our set time. And let me tell you all something. It is a special time. It is a spirit-filled time. And I'll tell you, it's not just a little tiny group either. Man, we're seeing 60, 70, 80. We're going to bust 100 here before too long. People coming on Wednesday night for Refresh. You talk to a whole bunch of the people that come to Refresh on Wednesday night, and they'll tell you, that is my favorite time of the week. And it's one of mine too, for sure. So we have set times to pray. We're going to begin, begin incorporating more intentional prayer times into our Sunday morning worship gatherings too. So there are those set times, but then we pray in our times of need. Those times of urgent, specific needs. Those, those times of unexpected trouble and tragedy that comes crashing into all of our lives at some point. We, we set because those are the times, those are the times that drive us to our knees. But listen to me, church, those are the times that drive us to each other. That's when the church should pray. Set times, then in those times of need. And when should the church pray? Right now. Right now. Church should pray right now. So we're going to. I just invite you right now to join me in prayer as we pray right now.
bow your heads and close your eyes and try not to think, you know, and I, I even hesitate to say this because when I say it, you start thinking about it, but try not to think about anything, going to get the kids, going, getting ready to go, you know, do whatever you're going to do after church or whatever. Just try to settle your heart and your mind for just a second and let's pray. And there's some things I want us to pray about. The church needs to pray right now. First of all, we need to pray for those who are lost and those that don't know Jesus. And so I might be talking to you today. You may be the person that your prayer right now, your prayer right now, needs to be to the God who loves you and sent his one and only son to pay the price for your sins and to save you. Your prayer right now in your heart needs to be and if it's you and you need to be saved come on come on and if you're already saved you pray for those people that need to be saved right now and let's believe you need to be saved and you call out to Jesus right now Jesus just that's the name above every name that's the na only name by which you can be saved so just call out to him Jesus I'm lost I am not saved, but I want to be. So I turn from my sin, and I trust you right now to come into my life and save me. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. If you prayed and gave your life to Jesus this morning, welcome to the family of God. <laughs> We're so glad you're with us. Man, praise God. There's others of you, uh, probably, uh, I, I mean, there's, there has to, I know there are. Some of you that you know Jesus, but man, you're so far away from him, and uh, let's just be honest, come on. You just, you just, you've drifted away. Your, your fire used to be hot, but it's all, it's all cold now. You drifted away, you've let, You've let stuff, you've let life, you've let sin. Maybe there's some sin that you just gotten, you've gotten tangled up in some sin. Man, you got something secret going on that you don't think anybody knows about, or maybe it's something everybody knows about. You've just gotten tangled up in some sin. You've walked away from the Lord. And I'm not condemning you, I'm not judging you, all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you that that's, man, if that's you, then, man, your prayer today needs to be, God, I'm so sorry. God, I confess my sin to you. God, I repent of my sin. God, I want to come home. come home to him. Some of you need to pray for healing. We need to pray for healing. Church, we need to pray for healing. Some of you physically need to be healed. I know some I know some of you for sure. I've talked to some of you. I know some of you are battling some physical ailments and illnesses and sicknesses and stuff like that that you need to be healed from. And we're praying right now. Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals. You are still in the healing business. We believe that. We stand on it. And I pray that, God, for my brothers and sisters, one in particular that i got on my heart and mind right now. He needs to be healed, Father. I pray for him. God, I pray for him. God, I pray that you'd heal him today. God, I pray that you set him free from this thing that's wrapping him up and 
struggling, he's struggling so hard with it. God discouraging him, depressing him that it just won't go away. Bless him today. God heal him today. And others, God, that are in that same boat want to pray for him. And then some of them, some of us, God, we need healing in our marriages. Lord, restore those marriages that need to be healed. Some of us need some healing in our families. God, restore broken relationships. God, restore. Uh, uh, take the bitterness out. Help us to grant forgiveness and get that junk out, Lord, and take care of that. Lord, some of us, God, we just, we're, we're just struggling so hard, God, and help us, Lord. Help us, God. And some of you, last one, some of you are looking and seeking wisdom direction and God's will for your life. Maybe somebody in here is struggling and uh, praying about a call on your life for ministry or missions. You're praying about that, God. Call them. Call them, God. Call them. Help them to say yes, Lord. Others need wisdom for decisions that are coming, job decisions or family decisions, school stuff, whatever it might be. Lord, give wisdom. God, we're praying fervently. We're praying trustingly today, Lord. You're, you're working. You're answering these prayers already. And we give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, if God is speaking to your heart today, you know there's a decision that you need to make. Maybe you prayed and asked Jesus to give your and gave your heart to him today. You come and let us know that. We just want to rejoice with you. You want to come and pray with me about just getting back in fellowship with the Lord or something else. Man, if you know you need to come, will you stand and come right now in obedience to him? Let's do business with the Lord. Come on.